In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. We find ourselves just after the beginning of the liturgical year that we celebrated 10 days ago on September 1st. And as I mentioned a few days ago in, in one of the services, the first great feast day or celebration in the 12 great feasts of our liturgical year that we celebrated was on September 8th, a few days ago, the nativity or the birth of the Theotokos. And the last, of course, is in August, August 15th, the falling asleep of the Theotokos. And in between, we celebrate 10 other great feasts of our Lord and of his mother, Mary, the Theotokos. The next one, of course, as we all should know, is September 14th, this coming Thursday, which is the feast of the elevation or exaltation, as it's known, of the Holy Cross. And because of the central and essential understanding, reality, and truth of the cross in our faith as Christians, there is an extended period of time that we celebrate this feast. So today, we have kind of a, a connection between the feast of the Nativity of the Theotokos and the feast of the elevation or exaltation of the Holy Cross. And so some of the hymns that we just chanted reflected the after feast of the Theotokos, the Nativity, and also the gospel and epistle today are for the forefeast of the elevation of the Holy Cross. Just a little bit of a lesson for you as to why we have all these things that we do. Nothing is done at random. Everything that we do always points and directs our attention, of course, in our faith to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So today we, we celebrate the Sunday before the elevation of the Holy Cross. And I hope that it was obvious if you were reading along the very short gospel, but the very powerful, often referred to as the summary of the Christian faith. For God so loved the world, we've heard this so many times, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that, <coughs> excuse me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Two verses, the essence of the Christian faith. And so much that we could speak about here, but I want to focus on just a couple of things in the short time that we have. The verses before John 3, 16 and 17, and even before what was in the gospel, are very important for us to understand the context. Because in John, in these first few chapters, our Lord reveals and speaks to quite a bit. And in this case, he is speaking with a very, as we know from scripture, a very learned man. Nicodemus. Nicodemus 
was a man of the faith. He knew the law. He knew the ritual. He knew the history of the Israelites. He knew about the history of their suffering. He knew about the history of their stubbornness. He knew about the history of when they strayed time and time again. And he knew that there was more to the faith than what he had necessarily been told or learned. He knew it was something that was to be very deep in his soul and in his heart. And so Nicodemus had an opportunity to ask the Lord questions. Now imagine that, to sit down with the Lord. All of us, I'm sure, ponder in our mind when we see and experience the things in the world that if the Lord was right here, we would have more than just one or two or three things to ask him, I'm sure, right? We'd have a list of things. We're, we're, we're really good with lists, so we'd have a list of things to ask him. Why this? Why that? Why them? Why not me? Why not us? All these questions that we would ask, and Nicodemus asked about this, and our Lord responded to him. And he talked to him about a new birth, the new birth, being born anew or being born again from above. And Nicodemus, of course, did not quite grasp this. But our Lord continued and continued and continued to reveal himself in the way he was patient and kind and loving to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, of course, when we know the rest of the story, we know about Nicodemus as becoming a follower of Christ. And there in those final days and even in the days after. But these verses that we hear today, after he's spoken to Nicodemus, the first verse he says, The Lord said, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And then he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here's, here's uh, the Lord speaking to a learned man, someone who knew the law, someone who knew the history of Israel. And as he would always do, later in John we hear that he meets with the Samaritan woman and he does the same thing. He speaks to them on their level of their understanding. So this, this image or this event about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness was very well known to Nicodemus. He knew about this, hist this uh, event in history. But our Lord takes this event and he compares it to himself. Even if it was not that clear to Nicodemus, he compares it to himself. So this, this event happened in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. So this serpent in the wilderness, why did our Lord compare this serpent in the wilderness to himself? Now the children of Israel, as we know, wandered for 40 years after they left Egypt. So they were liberated from Egypt by Moses, and then they went through the Red Sea, and we hear in Scripture that they crossed the sea under one cloud. 
Now, this is the first connection between the new birth that the Lord was speaking about. That the forefathers, as our Lord said, that they were reborn through water and the Spirit, cloud and sea, which the fathers of the church very much connected with our own baptism and chrismation under the cloud, the Holy Spirit, and through the sea, through baptism. They were born anew, born again. So this was, in effect, the baptism of the chosen people, of the, of the people of God. And yet, as we know, right after this, and even though it wasn't days, it was 40 years, and not just 40 years, but centuries, the people continued to turn their back on the one true God. Even during the time where they put up false gods, they put up false images to worship. But our Lord, our Heavenly Father, stayed faithful to the people. He stayed present with the people. He continued to receive them through repentance because, and this is the next verse, because of his love, because of his love for his creation. For God so loved the world, even after the world continued to turn their back on him, even after the world continued to stray through their stubbornness, through the stubbornness of their hearts to worship false gods. Does this sound familiar? This didn't just stop with the coming of Christ. We've been baptized and we've been chrismated. We've received the body and blood of our Lord time and time again. And yet we as humans, through the stubbornness of our hearts, through the hardness of our hearts at times, stray. We worship, without even knowing it sometimes, false gods. The false gods of materialism. The false gods of image and self. Even to the point in this day and age of not even seeing ourselves as created in His image and His likeness. Thinking that we need to be changed. Or, or, or and I use this word in the way the world uses it, transfigured. This is worshiping false gods. This is straying from the faith. This is turning our backs on the Lord. So our Lord did what? And, and by the way, the story that we know from Numbers is what was happening to the people of Israel when they were in the desert. They were, they were as it says, bitten by or stung by serpents. They were stung by sin. They were stung or bitten by or infected with sin. This is the symbolism here. And this is why our Lord uses this in this instance for the people, the new Israel, the people of God. And he told Moses, the Lord said, when the people were becoming sick and dying of their wounds, he said, make a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when they look upon it, shall live. 
And Moses, of course, obeyed the Lord, and he made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any person, when they looked at the serpent of brass that he lifted up, they would live, they would be healed. So the serpent of brass on the pole was a source of healing. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is the very reason why we lift up the cross. Because the cross is an image. The cross is a reminder, an image of this serpent on the pole by looking at it, by bringing it into our heart, by believing in what our Heavenly Father, by giving us His beloved Son, His only begotten Son, to die on the cross, to submit willingly to the cross, and through His resurrection, defeating the power of death, defeating sin in our lives. If, and there's always a condition, it's not conditioned for His salvation, but there is a condition, and our Lord says this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life believes in Him. This requires our belief. If we don't believe, if we don't believe in Him and in the purpose of His life, in the purpose of His death, rather, and His resurrection, and His power, just like that serpent that the Israelites, when they looked to on the pole, the, the sting of the serpent was powerless against them. They were healed. When we look on the cross, and I don't mean just physically look on it, but when we believe in the message of the cross, which is, as we will hear next week, folly, foolishness to others, but to those who believe, it is a healing power. It is love. Because God loved his creation. He did not wish for his people. He did not desire for the people he created, us, to be subject to, this, to the power of death. So this is why our Lord came. And this is why our Lord suffered. And this is why our Lord willingly submitted himself to the cross. And this is why our Lord was resurrected and ascended into heaven and grants us a new life. This is why we say through the cross, joy has come to the world. Those of you, some of you may have heard of Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was an, a missionary uh, in, in her early days and became an evangelist later and she died in 2015. And uh, she offered, uh, she would put out these podcasts even before there were, were podcast tapes you could get and she would go speak at different places and she used to sign on and sign off with this state, with this, uh, uh, these words. She would say, you are loved with an everlasting love. 
you are loved with an everlasting love. She would always open her broadcast and close her broadcast with these words, you are loved with an everlasting love. This is a quote from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3, when God makes a definitive statement about the nature of his love for his people. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. An everlasting love. The Lord had, an, had and has an everlasting love for his people. His love is unfailing. His love is everlasting. His love is complete. His love is full. His love is forgiving. His love is everlasting. This is for us to be reminded of. This is for us to believe in. This is life for us in the midst of so much that surrounds us that is false, that is folly, that is foolishness, that is lie, that is hate. We who believe in Him, we are the recipients of this love, an everlasting love, a full and complete and forgiving love. Let us always remember this. Let us not turn from this, but seek this. Let us look for that serpent on the pole. Let us look to the cross. Let that cross be for us. Let that cross be for us, our salvation, our offer, our invitation, our hope for eternal life. Because in the cross, in the cross, joy has come to the world, to each and every one of us, those of us who believe. Amen.